Welcome to Rally Bites Radio on the 20th of March 2014. Uh, yesterday was Budget Day, of course, and uh, we were down in Parliament um, watching the, the circus that is the mainstream media, uh, supposedly um, covering the events of the day, but um, all controlled by the BBC. But uh, we'll talk about that on Monday in the news segment and uh, other things that went on that day as well. And my adventure today, uh, travelling. It's another story. But anyway, we have uh, Alan Watt on the line. And uh, Alan's been off here for a while, and he, he put a little um, post on his website on the 20th of February, uh, basically saying that uh, he's he was living under the, the worst winter he's ever seen in Ontario, and it was down to minus 40, shoveling snow, and uh, they call it global warming, I believe. Uh, you there, Alan? That's right, yeah. And, it, and it's been pretty cold since November. I haven't seen... Uh, the snow's been here since November, by the way, still snowing. And... Uh, the temperatures were in the sub-zeros from November quite frequently right through to the present time. Just last week I was hitting 35 below. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, of course, um, I've, I've spoken on here before about uh, what we're doing down in Somerset and we're actually making a documentary about the whole thing. And the people down there are actually starting to, to understand that, that that flooding is not an accident. Uh, the previous floods weren't accidents. And they're actually talking now about Agenda 21. And I've had... Uh, Interestingly, I've had a couple of engineers, environmental engineers and consultancy groups down there um, call the office and uh, you know ask, ask what we're about and uh, what the documentary is going to be about and what angle we're coming from. And uh, I've mentioned Agenda 21 to them a couple of times and uh, they didn't really know anything about it. They'd heard about it, but um, they didn't know anything about it. But now they're starting to look at it and uh, coming back to me and say, you know, um, some of the stuff they're doing here is, uh, is, is very similar to what you've just told us on Agenda 21. And I says, well, that's because that's what it is, you know. That yeah. this is deliberate policy. So we we had an email exchange, you and I, and um, we wanted to do really the whole kind of history where all this uh, greenism, if you want to call it that, came from. And uh, I, I mentioned to you before. I, I remember reading a book by H. G. Wells in which he talked about energy being a currency in the future, yeah. and that was back in the the twenties, nineteen twenties. So, I mean, it, it goes back a long, long way, and uh, many, many, many people um, believe this only came out of the, the Rio summit, but um, it was on the go a long, long time before that. Do, do you want to, I mean, go back to the, the very start of it? Well, we can go back, way back, in fact, to the time when, when even um, you, you'll find uh, that Britain really was the first country to have recorded, and I think it was much older, but they had recorded uh, uh, corporations, in, big corporations, like the British East India Company, you know, and uh, and that was to do with trade. And the whole idea of that was to bring in a, a system of free trade, which wasn't free at all. It was to limit the market to, to their own traders by joining treaties, etc. And uh, going back to the 1500s and the 1600s, and that took off big time. So that the idea was very old. John Dee talked about the British Empire with free trade. And he presented it to, 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 the, to the, uh, the Queen as well. Uh, this idea of a bright, he called it Brightish, B-R-Y-T, Brightish Empire with free trade. The idea being that those who signed on to it would have to adopt that British system of government, you see, uh, a monopoly, a commonwealth of nations. And that's the whole idea that you had later on too with the New Atlantis, with Bacon, etc. So it was a corporate thing for mon monopolization. Uh, this has gone down through the centuries, the same idea. 
uh, you'll find that the crown of England, for instance, and all other crowns, for that matter, across Europe, all related, they all have these crown corporations. Uh, crown corporations are, are difficult things to, to even, for even uh, companies that, that are, are government-owned, like the CBC Canada, very much like the BBC, uh, to investigate because they can't get past the outer shell of what exactly it is. Partly there's limited partnership or, or, or um, there's limited uh, shares for it, but it's not given to the public. Uh, we know that the Queen of England, for, or the King, in George Orwell's day, his dad worked for the, one of the corporations in Burma when they ran the British Opium Company, and uh, his dad was in charge of it, and that came out in the 1920s in the British Parliament. And they found out that it was a complete monopolization, only royal family and their members of the royal family, uh, and some of the top bankers had uh, shares in it. It wasn't offered to the public. The British folk at that time thought it was abolished, but it wasn't. And it was a politician, an MP called Thompson, I think his name was, that brought it up in Parliament, and it astounded everybody it was still on the go. So, monopolization is the idea. In the late 1800s, their man, in, in, they had their own guys in the US for a long time. To, to create this, the similar um, partnerships or deals for this international monopolization of all trade, including all energy, of course, and so on. And Rockefeller was the guy that they used for that one. And uh, he, he was one of the robber barons, of course, strategically placed, and his son was coached and trained for his role. And he eventually became the, the, the oil baron for the States. He took over all all oil through all means possible. It's incredible uh, the network uh, 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 that he had. He had his own intelligence service worldwide to be ahead of everybody else's game. Um, he had once they, they deregulated under the antitrust laws, uh, Standard Oil, and the reason it was called Standard Oil was to standardize uh, all the, the oil industry under one, in fact, his system. And uh, he would have shares in all the companies. In fact, they had to pay him off or he'd put them under. Quite openly, he publicized this, that if you don't join me, I'll put you under. And he did. He put lots of them under, competitors. Other ones were burned out and so on. It's all fear and love and war and business. And uh, that's what they did. But uh, so you, he also was, was a boy to start off the, the, the organization that wouldn't just control all energy but all policy for the world through amalgamations and treaties, etc. So he became the head of the Council on Foreign Relations when eventually they gave it that name. They had it before under his family, but they didn't have it out in the open. In Britain, they had it before, as we well know, with Alfred, Lord Alfred Milner and, uh, we, and uh, the, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, along with uh, Lord Rothschild, uh, etc. And they became the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They couldn't call it Royal Institute for International Affairs in the US. It'd be an outcry, so they called it the Council on Foreign Relations. And then every British Commonwealth country has a, a dep- their own department. You had the Canadian uh, ones for international affairs, Australian, New Zealand, uh, even India, in fact, they left a big one there too, and other ones across the old British Empire. Still on the go, of course, and still working towards the same agenda. And their idea was to create a, uh, the world as it should be run by them, naturally, and their offspring. Uh, the intelligentsia, the wealthy intelligentsia, should rule the world. Quite simply, that was it. And they'd proven that they were the wealthy intelligentsia by holding on to their money for generations, uh, marrying for good breeding as opposed to any other reason. Good breeding and money, of course, it always marries itself. And that was your certificate of good breeding, the fact that you had the good money. 
So it's a monopolization of all the world, all of its resources, etc. They funded, as we all know, the communist revolution through the bankers. Uh, a, a lot of other, the big bankers got on board with them because they had their own agenda at one point. And uh, so they funded the Soviet Union as, as a kind of uh, uh, an enemy. To get progress, as you call it, you must have an enemy. You see, you must have a... If, if there's no enemy, everything remains static. People love uh, a system that they've been born into that doesn't change. We're like that. That's, a, that's human nature. We get used to, to whatever conditions we're in, even when we're slaves. And so to, to change things in a certain direction, you must plan the outcome. And how do you get to the outcome that you want? Well, you must have an opposition that complains. You have skirmishes, uh, verbal battles, whatever, or even physical ones. Then you're compromised. And, of course, that's your thesis, antithesis, and so on, and synthesis. You plan the synthesis. That's the whole idea of oppositions. That's what Russia was built up to be. We know for a fact that private companies ran Russia through the Soviet Union. We know that families from New York and other places in the States flooded over there, went back to Russia. Actually, they didn't come from, mainly from Germany, but they went to Russia and they became the, the major domos and they ran it right through until, until it supposedly collapsed, which it didn't, of course. So the idea was to create a, a complete united Europe. And they thought if the people would go along with the Russian idea first, they could do it quicker, but it didn't work out that way, so they went the long haul instead. They wanted a, a united Americas. They wanted a far eastern conglomerate eventually to be built up with China at the head of it, at least the appearance of the head of it. Uh, Karl Marx talked about it. Many others talked about it later on from the same big foundations. And these, these big bankers, these ones who belong to the Council on Foreign Relations, Rockefellers and so on, they, they set up these foundations to, to create all all the oppositions for everything. Lenin said it. He said, how, to, how, how you eliminate opposition is to lead it ourselves. Rather than wait for a real opposition to start, because you're going to do something that's going to cause opposition, you put out the leaders there, and you train them to be the leaders, and you finance them to be the leaders. And then the public will say, yeah, that's just wrong. Let's join this group. It's ready-made for us. And these people become your leaders. You go around in circles, and you end up in a different place than you ever thought you were going to end up at all. So... Old techniques, well, well, well used. Um, they use these, these front organizations, the non-governmental organizations, to demand exactly what they want to be demanded. Uh, and then they, they monopolize the whole business of it, whether it's oil, uh, energy, water, uh, farming. In fact, the head of the United Nations Agricultural Department said that farming was too important to be left to farmers. And so what they did was the, uh, they created the corporate farms. That was the idea behind it. Small business was to be ultimately limited altogether. And that's happened steadily, increasingly steadily, since um, the days of Maggie Thatcher, in fact, uh, when half the day for a small business person was filling in forms for governments. You couldn't keep your business going that way. They know that, too. And the taxation with them as well. Whereas big corporations have teams of lawyers that deal with all the paperwork. They get special discount rates and all the rest of it too because they lobby governments for the deals. Uh, the small guys can't do that. So the world that they've planned is, is a total energy market uh, and that means all goods, services. Everything you need to live on is to be, is to be run by these very old uh, gangs, you might call them. Uh, very old families that got together uh, openly, actually, as I say, in the late 1800s, under a few names that became really one name, 
in the early 1900s. And these are the ones, of course, that Carl Quigley talked about. He was part of it. He, he was all for the agenda, in fact. And uh, you, you find that um, he, he, the only difference he had was some of their methods, because it's underhand, including creating wars to get what they want, and, um, and to control all media. And that was another big part of it, too. Uh, the Rockefeller boys in the 1920s and into the 30s uh, had lots of meetings about how to control all the media. And, they even, and they're, they're, they're fantastic for doing scientific studies, usually think tanks, etc. That's why they created the Rand Corporation. That was one of the first big ones for them. And, um, and, and they, they found out that if they control 30 major newspapers in the States, they could control, that would control all of the media because they'd all copied the 30 major ones if they owned them. And, and so they did that. Nothing's changed. They own them pretty well all today. And, uh, and so you get, the, you get the news, what you think is news. News doesn't mean truth, remember. It's just information. And that, the court uh, case that went up in the States a few years ago with the, with the, the, the journalistic team that was, that was uh, assigned to Fox News under contract tried to investigate Monsanto, and of course all hell broke loose, and they tried to cancel their contract. It went all the way to the Supreme Court, uh, and and uh, the judge said, uh, he said, uh, you don't understand. He says the media has nothing to do with telling the truth. It doesn't have to tell the public the truth on anything. And that's just the, the way it really actually is. We've been trained to believe it's information which is true, but, but it's, that's the furthest thing from the truth, you know. Yeah, just, yeah. just to step in there, I mean, we were, I mentioned off here to you earlier that we were down in Parliament yesterday in the, uh, the official um, press area right opposite in College Green. And we mm-hmm. we got a couple of people to come in and talk about the the Bradbury Pound. They, they didn't have press cards, of course, but so we had we had to bring them in to interview them in front of the House of Parliament. And um, we weren't allowed in until we were vetted by the the BBC producer. And uh, we weren't allowed to hand any leaflets out to the other major um, news outlets. There, um, he had to do it. The BBC producer and every live feed mm-hmm. that came came from Parliament that day had to go through the BBC. Everyone else. Yeah. That's your official censorship department, yeah. You see, the British Empire set up a, a BBC organisation in every country. And in Canada, they call it the CBC. In Australia, it's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. These are all, these are, the, these are government-controlled media outlets that for the official, but they want the official news, they call it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so they, they took over the, uh, well, the energy markets, the the natural resources of the planet, the water, as you say, uh, the coal, uh, diamonds, silver, gold, all of it. Um, but w- was there a point where they, they thought, okay, we- we've we've secured enough of this stuff, um, whatever in whatever industry it was or whatever um, commodity it was, and then, then they took another step towards where we're heading now, down, down the Agenda 21 road? Yeah, it isn't point? even... There's many levels all working at the same time for the same organisation. And this is the, they've written about it extensively, how it's done in their own books and publications, especially from those who, who are involved in these big foundations. Um, when they're retired, they love to write their memoirs. But they tell you that um, they know that many different aspects of their, of their agenda will take different time periods to fulfill. So they're all on the go simultaneously, but they all are controlled at the top to make sure they kind of start to mesh along the way. Uh, again, Quigley said the same thing about a foundation. He said, governments can come and go. If the, if the governments were actually real, 
if they're if they were if ever once in history they were actually real, which they're not, uh, they're not really what you think they are. Um, then you would have keep you have major changes all the time with different parties coming and going, and, and changes in policy and even uh, old policies thrown out the window and new ones brought in. It doesn't happen that way. You see one agenda continuously, and foundations are even better because a foundation can be set up and I could set up maybe 500 foundations. Each one would have its part to play. And one foundation might, might be take over all energy. Uh, one, one foundation might, their job might be to create socialism across the world, the appearance of socialism, which is actually destruction of everything which is independent of them <laughs> in actual fact. Socialism does not mean what the average person thinks it means. And so the foundation can go for a hundred years or, or 150 years, hiring, retiring, hiring, and all, all three, but the same agenda till it's fulfilled its goal. It's got one policy, you see. There's no opposition coming in there. It's one policy until they fulfill it. So some parts of the agenda would take 150. That's why H.G. Wells and, uh, and uh, Shaw and the rest of them created the, 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 uh, the Fabian Society. To do the, the Fabian method as opposed to the communist method, they realized that the communist method wouldn't take off in Britain. Uh, and so, and so these very rich people, and backed by the Astor family, the multimillionaires, um, created. A, 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 they would be the leaders of socialism. You see, so and they said that uh, it might take a hundred years. Uh, to the millennium before they actually see anything, to, uh, their, their goals start to actually materialize. So they're, they're counting on the year 2000 or so. And, uh, and again, Lord Bertrand Russell talked about it too. Uh, he worked along with the Macy Group and the, the Frankfurt School, who were told to work after World War II together to create a new culture for the West, including America and Britain. And, to, and the intention was to destroy all the old values to bring in these new values, where people would actually think they were freer, by the way. And, and uh, by doing that, um, they could then gradually, ch- once you're into change, you can keep changing more and more, more, more frequently uh, and, and speed up your agenda, which they have done. Well, he was in, involved in creating the culture that was to come out in the 1960s. Uh, by using the Macy Group, the Frankfurt School, and all the rest of them, and putting university uh, professors through all the universities in, in the West, which actually, a lot of them came from, the, from the, uh, the Russia and different countries like that, Soviet Russia. They came right in and got professors' jobs, many of them, or their sons did. So it was all working together. And people think there's left-wing and right-wing. No, no, it's one agenda. Because the capitalist system suits that of the West. And, uh, and and the communist system also suits the rulers of the West. That's what Quigley said. He said, we're often mistaken for the communists. But he says, because our agenda is, is much the same. Well, actually, it is the same. A, a communistic system with massive government bureaucracies and agencies running the general public, training us from birth to death, monitoring us from birth to death all through life, uh, and and uh, an elite above them, which Charles Galton Darwin called the wild men, uh, the ultra-rich who, who cannot be trained. They mustn't be trained because they're guiding the world. They mustn't have their minds controlled. They must be free to think and act to make decisions. But everybody beneath them, uh, as they said, uh, won't need even free will because the government will be making all their decisions for them. This is a scientific, the scientific system that H.G. Wells talked about. He was a propagandist for them through the Fabian Society. And Bernard Shaw himself said, 
And you'll see it on the Soviet story, that very good uh, video. You'll see an old clip of, of uh, Bernard Shaw, George Bernard Shaw, uh, saying, when we rule, he says, you'll all have to come to us to justify why we should allow you to live. That's a system we're, we're, we're going into today. It's, it's almost here. Yeah. yeah he, always, he also mentioned, I think, in that clip, the, um, the big organization of our society. Was it? Yeah. Uh, right. Which is which is David Cameron's um, big society, great society. Yeah, and of course, right. of course, Cameron is married into the Esther family. So, the Esther family, and and more than the Esther family, he just gave his genealogy when he gave the speech in Israel last week. Did you listen to that one? I didn't hear that one. No. What, what did oh he say? yeah, he, he he started off with the big bankers. Fam- there was a whole bunch of banking families that uh, he he is descended from, and uh, who are well known, by the way. And they rang the Shanghai Bank for them when they were doing all the opium trading through there and so on for his masters, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they, uh, we know where the politicians are getting their cocaine then and their opium. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, okay. Moving on. Now, I, I mean, as, as you say, all these uh, groups work at a, a different pace and a different agenda, different parts of the agenda. Um was there a point they decided, right, we're ready to push this, um, well, the the, the, form, the formulation of agenda, is, is it time to push this um, because because we have control of so much of the resources that we can actually pull it off? Yeah. Yeah. Was, was that Rio or was it, did it start happening before that? It, it was happening before that. In fact, you go, you can actually go ways, ways back in it and you'll find that um, whenever they create a hero in politics, it's generally one of their own boys. And, and and whatever they put down in official history books, uh, you'll find is vastly different from the reality of the period. We know that Standard Oil, for instance, was told to deregulate, and all they did was put them into subsidiaries still owned by the Rockefellers. Still today, by the way, you know. And that's how everything runs. It's like the big agribusinesses, like the five big agribusinesses, are really all one, the same shareholders. There's no competition at all. Uh, and so, uh, but you're back into the days, of, of, as I say, of Theo, Theo Roosevelt, and Theodore Roosevelt, he uh, supposedly was a guy who was to champion the, the complaints against the Rockefellers' monopolies and tactics by deregulation. As I say, it was a, it was a complete sham. He, they simply put in his sub-companies that they owned, but it gave him all the votes and, and popularity. But he also started at the same time working for the same boys, the same thing as Rockefeller was doing. He started up the national parks systems where they would put massive chunks aside, etc., supposedly for the wilderness areas, etc. And in reality, they're, they're full of all the oil and, and the gas that they're going to frack shortly, by the way. You know, they knew, these guys knew where everything was way back then. And so there's always an ulterior purpose, like Bernard Brooks says, whatever they tell the public, forever, from politics, he says, there's always a good reason, then there's a real reason. That's how it is. So... You'll find that Theo Roosevelt really was a big one for pushing that whole movement. The foundations were doing the same thing uh, for for putting aside national parks. They created through the CFR, Royal Institute for International Affairs, they created the United Nations. That's their that's their baby. They created the Bank for International Settlements. That they run that, uh, the IMF, and they also the they, they run um, a few other or massive organisations. They're the guys who admitted on Canadian television in 2005 that they drafted up the Treaty for the Integration of Canada and the States and Mexico. A private organization is running the world here. We don't vote them in. Most folk haven't even heard of them. 
And it was a Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, uh, Lloyd Axworthy, that was the head of it at the time, who helped draft up this integration policy for the integration of Canada. I mean, what's the point in voting if private organizations are really running the show and drafting up the treaties? By the way, the, the, their, their main organization in Britain, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, they're the ones who drafted up the treaty for, for, the, for the whole free trade integration of Europe scheme way back uh, before World War II even ended. Yeah, yeah. So we're living through a script written by pri- these private monopolies. You know? Yeah, we were just talking about this the other day there in the, in the office, and uh, even at the, the council level, you know, you ask your councillor to, to help you out with something, and they say, oh, well, I've, I've got to toe the party line. Well, well why did I vote for you then? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. you know, you, you, you got exactly, yeah. Well, I mean, about the guy's supposed to represent his own constituents, and the first thing he does when he gets, yeah, you exactly, I got to, I got to vote with a party. But yeah, so what's the point in having them? Uh, of course, what's the point. The word "party" is a celebration, so I don't even know where that came from. But yeah. uh, you know, um, okay, um, we'll go to a, a short piece of music. I have no idea what's coming up because uh, I wasn't too late tonight to pick the tunes, but uh, I'm sure Steve's got something. And then, yeah, we'll we'll move on into basically the the whole. Uh, growth of the green industry or the green industry the green green movement for want of a better word okay well take it away steve no lizards no aliens no nonsense this is reality bites in association with sovereign independent uk and one world chronicle you're listening to awakeradio.co.uk, awakeradio.us, and shazizradio.com. Awake Radio. Straight talk for the awake and the aware. Welcome back to Reality Bites Radio uh, with myself, Neil Foster, and our guest, Alan Watt, of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Uh, we were talking there before the break about the the big plan to take over all the resources of the planet, which is, is pretty well done now. Um, of course, there's a, a lot of shale gas around the place, which they're desperately trying to grab a hold of. And um, this is all moving down the road of Agenda 21, which I'm sure many listeners are, are very familiar with. But uh, it's quite amazing that the general public have no idea about this this plan whatsoever. Uh, even the people involved in uh, consultation processes with uh, councils who are who think they're genuinely doing the right thing by uh, making low carbon this and that and the, the next thing. Um, but um, when you speak to them and start uh, giving them some information, they are of a kind of technical background and uh, inquisitive nature, shall we say. And they do start looking at this stuff. And uh, as I was saying earlier, people down in Somerset are now looking at this stuff and beginning to, to see through the, the propaganda of the the greenies and all the rest of it, saying, oh, well, we've got to spend £3 million on birds, but um, I'm sorry we can't buy you new carpets. And... Uh, that's the way it's going. Uh, just uh, last last week, or the week before, I think it's last. Yeah, the week before, we had um, Kenny Valenzuela of um, Experimental Vaccines on, and uh, just that week, the British government had announced that they were going to pay out sixty million uh, to GlaxoSmithKline for uh, the damage caused by the swine flu vaccine. Uh, and in the same week, down in Somerset, uh, nobody was getting a penny from the insurance companies. 
So uh, we know where the priorities lie, and uh, it certainly yeah. isn't with the people. Never was. No. So, uh, Agenda 21, Alan. Uh, over here now, I've noticed uh, very much so, if you go into the local council's websites, uh, possibly three, four years ago, you would never find anything on Agenda 21, and now it's everywhere. They've got yeah. full pages on this stuff, and uh, I wrote an FOI to the local council uh, here, and they wrote back, and they've got all this local plans, this, that, the next thing, uh, all this stuff they're doing for the environment, and I asked how much he's spending on this, and they said £1,000, which is obviously a lie, because I mean, it probably cost them more than that for the website. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, and they're not even... They're, they're not hiding the fact they're doing it, but they're they're hiding what they're doing and couching it in different language uh, yeah. to make to make it sound uh, all fluffy and nice. But um, this this of course all sprang out of uh, the Rio summit and Maurice Strong and um, Mr. Gorbachev back in Rio 1992. Uh, but as you say, it's, it's been on the go a lot longer than that. But um, yeah. obviously, obviously that was a point where they thought we can go with this and get away with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's certainly a long way down the road of that now, and the Somerset uh, thing is just an example of it. Um, I, I don't know. Are, are there any kind of major examples similar to that? Not necessarily flooding, but um, other things oh, happening yeah. in your part of the world. Well, I know there's going to be flooding this year when the snow melts because there's never been so much for since the 1960s, apparently. And the cold temperatures too is great business for plumbers and road workers because there's plumbing going out all over the place, all over the country, and the states too, and. Uh, but getting back to the, the the air summit, I mean, Maurice Strong himself was picked up by the Rockefeller himself. Uh, they actually take on protégés. Uh, in fact, I know of a recent one who was picked out of a place in the U.S., a university there, and is to travel with Rockefeller family, uh, wherever they go. They trained him. So they did the same thing with Maurice Strong. They picked him up and trained him for his position in the world. Again, an, an, an unelected technocrat, you might say, who gets things done behind the scenes. A big player in it all, too. But, uh, again, the draft for the Rio Summit was written up by Rockefeller himself. Uh, so uh, he simply presented it to them. But the thing is, it's an ongoing agenda. And Madeleine Albright, uh, Madeleine Albright's uh, grandfather, I think it was, or father, uh, was a pal of Stalin. And Stalin uh, talked about the future yeah, to, 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 and, and said eventually they have to have front organizations which will take over from the Communist Party. Remember the communism dictatorship was still going to last a generation, according to Lenin, which it pretty well did. At that time, it was a 70-year thing, you know, a generation. So uh, he came up, he was given the first idea to start what was called a Green Party. And then it was put into the States. But it was Madeleine Albright's relative, who, her ancestor, her, her granddad, who started it all up. And under the guise, again, of saving the world from us, you see, uh, then, uh, they, 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 again, the intelligentsia, the, the pre-existing foundations, have to have uh, a monopoly over control over all resources. And these foundations, as I say, are simply are the fronts for the most powerful, richest families on the planet. So democracy has never ruled the people, ever, ever, in fact. It's a great sham that stopped a lot of revolutions, because you always vote in a new party and you live in hope. But um, it's been a great panacea in a, in a, to an extent. But they hope to train the public. And that, they have been training the public not to even be involved in the, in the, the play-acting of politics. 
just accept the fact that experts are ruling the world. And that's, that's happened pretty well since the 60s. That's when uh, Russell said that we'll train them. We'll train them to believe the experts. And people above them, special people, are dealing with all the big problems in the world. Just leave them to it and, and play yourselves at the bottom. Well, that's the society they've got us to today. Very few folk today, in fact, the, the true statistics of people who bother voting, are, it's, it's all low because they, even the folk who don't know the scams that go on, they might see some of them, but they don't know the big picture. They just know it stinks and it doesn't get you nowhere. Uh, it's a con. And getting back to even the days of uh, the American Revolution, you, you find that um, some of the founding fathers in the States said, whenever you see, whenever you, you see, as Jefferson said it, uh, an agenda continue between changes in the House, you meant of, of politics, of parties, the same agenda continuous regardless of who gets in, then you know you're under tyranny. And we've been under, under it for over 100 years. You know. Well, absolutely. I just I experienced a little bit more of that in the airport today, but uh, I'm getting used to it now. Um, the, the How did... Um, how did Gorbachev get involved, or, or does, is that is that uh, in some way directly linked with the the Albright family and others over there? Yeah, I've no doubt on that. Uh, and Maggie Thatcher, I mean, uh, Maggie Thatcher too had her, her orders from prime ministers and presidents uh, are, are the front people for those behind them. You see, their job is to become unpopular, and, and that's why they last a certain time and then they're out. They've, they've done their their part in the agenda, uh, and to get well rewarded for it. So uh, you'll find that Gorbachev, again, KGB guy and the whole thing, I think it was Andropov trained him as well, knew him very well, and uh, they knew that they were to come in to this United Europe idea. Remember, the whole idea was to get all forces to, to get a United Europe where it was communistic or whatever. It didn't matter because it, in reality it would be a monopolization run by the same old folks. And um, and they've got what they wanted. So they knew uh, it was time now to start dissolving, as he said, uh, this dictatorship over the proletariat. That's really what it should be called. And, uh, and the Rees Commission, going back to the 1950s in the U.S., where the Congress got a commission going in to investigate these foundations to find out why the richest corporations in the U.S. were funding what it seemed to be left-wing and communistic groups. Uh, if Norman Dodd was, was the, the, one of the head guys there, and he, he talked to the heads of Ford and Carnegie Institutes as well as Rockefeller. The guy at Ford uh, said to him, he says, uh, he says, our job is to so change the culture of the West. And culture involves every, all your reality, you know, everything that's normal to you, uh, so that they'll blend seamlessly through education and so on of the youth, into the same system, not quite capitalist, not quite communist, exactly the same thing that, that uh, Lenin had said at the beginning of his particular reign of terror over there, that it would last for about a generation and become not quite capitalist and communist. The term they're using today is socialist, and they've trained the guys at the bottom to think socialism is something where they pay money in and get something back, but nothing's further from the truth. Socialism is, is, is the type that, that H.G. Wells was talking about in Bernard Shaw, where an intelligentsia, an elite, a scientific elite, would run on and an academic elite on behalf of the masters, the power men, and so on. 
would run us uh, like robots, basically, for the good of the world in an orderly fashion. That's where your school-to-work idea came from. Uh, in the Soviet system, they brought in Pavlov. Uh, they studied humanity perfectly well. And they said, why, why uh, allow them to, get, to grow up and then choose what they want to work at? Why not just pick what they're good at when they're young? Give them uh, tests, you know, and so on. And, and, and train a guy to be a plumber or a carpenter or an electrician. Uh, and, and don't bother giving them all the education with history and, and, and geography. It won't, be, it won't be necessary for them, etc. And that's what they were doing there. Now it's the same thing here. They're, they're doing the same thing here in yeah. North America. What, what, what we're getting coming in now is, uh, well, I think it's had three readings. It's not gone to Parliament yet, but uh, the National Service Bill. And uh, anybody in this country with children uh, listening to this, uh, you, your child is going to be taken from you and forced into the military, basically. Um, they've, they've got all this other stuff in there. Or you can you can work for a charity, or you can work for uh, helping the elderly, or or whatever. I mean, I don't know what they're going to help the elderly to do, possibly to die off. But um, yeah. they're, they're certainly killing them off at a remarkable rate over here, as it is. Oh yeah. But but um, it's uh, how, how can I put it? It always amazes. I mean, this is a kind of side issue, but it, it, it's amazed me over the last. I suppose, especially over the last five years or so, say, it's how uh, dependent just ordinary people have become on, on the most meaningless things. I, I, I remember looking out the window in, in Edinburgh when I stayed up there a few years ago, and there was there was two um, crossings at traffic lights for the roads, and you would see grown adults in, in their early twenties, late twenties, thirties, forties, waiting for somebody in their seventies. To come out with a little lollipop and help them across the road, and I, I just what what is wrong with these people? And and there was no traffic coming. Yeah, and I, it, it reminded me because I, I spent a bit of time in Eastern Europe, and they they will not cross the road until the lights change and they're told to go. Yeah, uh, it, it was just exactly the same, and yeah. uh, the the children the children here are being taught that as well. And uh, I was on a I was on a flight today, and the language of the stewardesses. And, and the pilot, uh, when they welcome you on board and stuff, it's as if they're talking to to ten year olds. Yeah. It, it's 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 demeaning. You know, it's like you know, please disengage your brain before you get on the aeroplane. Uh, yeah. And well, listen actually, to this a good thing to do. You mentioned Gorbachev. I mean, he put books out uh, again to popularise him in the West uh, when he was still really the head of the Soviet Union. And this is after his tour with Maggie Thatcher. Remember, Maggie Thatcher was given the job of introducing this new type of communist, this up, this guy, this swinging communist to the West, you know. And they, they brought him to London. They, they took him to the, the best tailors and made his, his flashy suits and so on. So he wasn't drab, etc. Uh, and tried to give him this image. They also made a deal with all the press that came out years later that the press would not ask him any questions to do with uh, actual the system of communism in Russia. Uh, they, could all, they were told the topics they could ask him and his wife about, uh, such as uh, f- free facelifts there for women on this, just walk off the street into a, a store and they'll give you a facelift. All this rubbish, you know, uh, and hairdressing and all the trivia, etc. The same techniques they use in making a star on, on American Idol or whatever. Same cons, same, because it's all run by Hollywood, the, the culture industry. But anyway, they got all the pros over from the States to do that whole PR blitz of this tour with Gorbachev, the, the, new, the new modern communist, you know. 
to launch him to the world. And then they did a vote in the States afterwards, after this massive blitz of how great the guy was, and gave him interviews on television. And this, they, they said that about 75 of the people liked him so much they'd vote for him in the States. You know? I mean, that's the power of propaganda. You know? but that's how you make any star. But Gorbachev wrote in a book, uh, uh, it, was, it was a coming age or something it was, to do with this, this blending of the two systems. And if you read those communistic books in the standard communistic style that was put out by the old Politburo, they are written as though they're written for children. Literally, it's so childish that the short, very short sentences, etc., of what they're doing. You know. Now he said in, in in that book he put out after his tour, he said uh, the system's coming in. He says we'll need a, a kind of a new religion. He said. It will have to be based on a form of earth worship. Well, that's your greenie and all the rest of it, you see. So they train the children about nature, the oneness, the singularity, all this kind of rubbish that they've been pushing, uh, and, and that's all connected. But, but again, there's partial truth. When you kill off the planet, we die too, sure. But the thing is, it's for the elite to manage it for themselves and their own profits, etc., as they accept the proper way to run the world, which they they know how to do, uh, and and they of course incredibly get rich off it too at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, anybody who's unfamiliar with the Green Agenda website? There's uh, a number of quotes by Gorbachev on there, uh, and I think that quote you mentioned is is in there about the the new world religion as well. Well, an interesting thing is funny that because as I say, the guy in the states and the family in the states that were to be the head of a lot of this were the Rockefellers. That, that was their appointment. And um, old man Rockefeller said that competition, literally he says that competition is a sin. The idea was to monopolize everything, you see, and run it properly, as he said, including, including your behavior, including uh, how you'd live, uh, right down to the bottom level, uh, from birth to death. It's like Gerfeck in Scotland there, same idea. And, um, yeah, I have and then Gorbachev, like yeah, and then Gorbachev, um, he certainly was... Uh, Putting out all, all the same spiels, but but old man Rockefeller saw himself as a kind of hidden master. He was into theosophy and all this stuff. You know, uh, you find in these psychopathic types at the top, they look back in their family ancestry, which has been utterly ruthless. They do eliminate all competition by every possible means, uh, and then they say, "Well, we've got all this wealth. We must be superior to the average man." So he believed in eugenics. Uh, theosophy backed him up on that. The hidden masters, as they call themselves. Um, they, they used that to put their, cut their headquarters in New York. He funded that, that headquarters for theosophy. So they used the New Age movement and all the rest of it to promote all this greening and take over all for their own worth. But you find Gorbachev also, in one of his big interviews that he gave, he had a picture of Christ on his wall, then a picture of himself next to it painted to look like Christ. I mean, these guys are megalomaniacs, you know. These, these particular, and these are these are not these are not the top fellas, you know. They're they're still worker bees. You know? Yeah. Well, here's here's another little quote by Gorbachev uh, uh, under the the auspices of Green Cross International. Uh, yeah. Nature, nature is my god. To me, nature is sacred. Trees are my temples, and forests are my cathedrals. That's right. That that's the old Masonic grove idea, you know, that they prattled on about. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I mean, they, they talk about sustainable development and all the rest of it. I've noticed that the latest words, and I heard that again yesterday uh, from from uh, Osborne talking about the budget, and uh, they've all started talking about resilience. Everything's to be resilient now. 
Uh, there's websites up there for resilient children. Uh, we've got the Guardian newspaper has got a, a section called Guardian Cities, and they they go on about uh, resilient cities. And it's uh, the Rockefeller Foundation's 100 Resilient Cities who sponsors the, that section of the Guardian newspaper. Mm-hmm. So, and again, I, w- I was surprised to hear it in the budget, but it's obviously one of the new buzzwords. Um, so we'll have to watch yeah. out for that and see what they apply that to. It's also the um, they used to call a different name for it too uh, in the states, sustainable cities, and so on, uh, in different areas. That there were all the greeny cities that had bicycles attached to buses. You could put your bus. You could. You had these big racks for bikes. You could attach it to the bus and then take the bus and get back off and get the bike again. Things like that. And uh, these are your model cities under the United Nations, but now they're calling them resilient cities that are all eco-friendly and, and full of agencies that spy on you and all that to make sure you are, etc., etc. They train the public, in other words. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're down in London yeah. just now, and uh, you can see all the Barclays bikes there, which I, th- I think uh, I think Boris paid £600 a piece for when they were only uh, 140 yeah, quid right. or something. Um, right. yeah, yeah. And now, uh, just last week, um, I, do, I do a Monday show now and do kind of news articles similar to what you did, but uh, not with as much knowledge, of course. But... Um, uh, what's his name, Clegg, who, who's another um, communist, of course, and uh, his background's yeah. in the Soviet Union. And I was born too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he he was he came out and said that he wants to see all petrol and diesel cars off the road by 2040. Now, now nobody's mm-hmm. elected this guy. Even, even no. if the election system worked, he's never been elected anyway. No. Uh, and, and then, of course, the, the day before or the same day, they were pushing the electric car. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's and these, these things are, are useless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, the Guardian as well, I think, put out an article which I read uh, a month or so ago, where some of these characters from Top Gear had taken one of these electric cars from uh, Marble Arch in London to Edinburgh, and they did it in twelve and a half hours. And I thought that's that sounds a bit uh, dodgy. So they said they stopped nine times, uh, you know, a half an hour a time to charge up this thing. Um, so you take that off, and that leaves seven and a half hours, and that's exactly what it said on the, one of the route guides. Mm-hmm. So you, you think, well, I can't even do that in a petrol car if I'm speeding. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. it's just the whole thing was garbage. Well, they've also had so many of them go on fire. They're nasty for going on fire, these things. Uh, and apart from that, they never tell you how much it costs for that massive rapid charge. It's a fortune it costs you for that. But remember, Agenda 21 says that, that, that in these private, these little... Um, public areas where you're all, you're all to be crammed in and you live, there's to be no private property. It's rental only. There'll be private landlords, by the way, that own whole chains of cities. Uh, but uh, no, 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 you won't own them yourself. It's, you rent. And um, there's to be no private vehicles, only uh, essential vehicles only. I'm sure could be police, uh, ambulances and so on. Uh, but no private ones. So this is all part of Agenda 21, yeah. Yeah. And it's quite easy. You see, they don't forbid you to travel. They simply make it impossible eventually for you to travel. Or you can't travel in that old car. It uses gasoline, you know, etc., uh, etc. Et and the states are adding, they've, they've signed, and so is Britain, by the way, they've, they've signed the, the International Treaty through their, their fake front UN again to add more ethanol to the fuel. That's, that's what they call biofuel, but it's ethanol. You know, it's really a wood alcohol. Uh, and they want to go up to 30%. Now, all the small engines manufacturers are complaining because ethanol ruins the standard gasoline engine. It, it just burns your pistons out, you know, in a, a month or two. 
So this is agenda. They won't forbid you to travel. They'll simply make it impossible for you to travel. Well, you can't travel on that thing unless you use ethanol. Which if I use ethanol, my car's going to get burned out. Well, we can't help that, sir. You can still travel if you get an electric car, you know. And, and this is the standard technique they've used down through the ages for changing your behavior. Yeah, yeah well, another, another part of that is that they're, they're going after the scrapyards here and shutting a lot of them down, or, or making it impossible for them to operate uh, with the, the legislation and all the rest of it. Same in Canada too, yeah, in the States, yeah. At the same time, the European Union's coming out and saying that we need to have rules so that uh, you can only put a generic part on your, your car, so if it's a Volvo, you've got to use a Volvo part, etc., mm-hmm. etc. And I've got a, I've got a 20-year-old uh, Volkswagen Passat, mm-hmm. uh, left, left-hand drive, and uh, the exhaust on that is, I think it's got five different parts from five different cars, makes and models, yeah. and all, this, all, all welded together, and it works. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get MOT'd here, so I don't. I it's MOT'd in a country where it's been welded together. Yeah. And it, it works perfectly well. So, I mean, of when course. they talk about sustainability and uh, recycling, well, that's, that's a perfect example of it. I've got a 20-year car that runs on gas, yeah. not on LPG, and that's not good enough. No, no. Everything that's passed is, is again, again, like like Baruch said, for everything that they say is, is a good reason and there's a real reason. Well, we never get the real reasons, you see, until you can think it out yourself. Yeah, That's how it works. Yeah, you mentioned Charles Gaunt Darwin earlier, and from his book The Next Million Years, uh, 1952, civilization has taught man how to live in dense crowds, and by that very fact, those crowds are likely ultimately ultimately to constitute a majority of the world's population. So that's that's where we are now. Uh, already there are many who prefer this crowded life, but there are others who do not, and these will gradually be eliminated. Life in the crowded conditions of cities has many unattractive features, but in the long run these may be overcome, not so much by altering them, but simply by changing the human race into liking them. So, uh, I mean, we, we could, I mean, Huxley said the same thing. People will yeah. come to enjoy their servitude. And, uh, well, well you can. You, you, people have been tra- See, if you do it the Fabian style of training, uh, we adapt and adapt and adapt, and and eventually they adapt right into it without even being conscious that they have until and, until literally you could take the, the so-called the primitive man of, of Brave New World, uh, who was a normal man, you know, uh, and, and, get, and put him in with the hybrids. Uh, they would listen to everything you talked about, about morality and, and, and love, etc. And, 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 and these new folk would be polite and listen, but they couldn't fathom how this man was talking about. I mean, they had promiscuity. Uh, London gave, gave birth, a live birth. It was all done genetically and in test tubes, basically. Um, you can train the, the people into, into accepting anything. I've watched it in my own, my own life as they've really radically altered uh, the cultures through the cultural wars. These were wars, you know cultural wars, all, all designed and used uh, and implemented and let go and let loose on the public from the top down, not from the bottom up, and been awfully successful until, if you meet someone today who talks about uh, being celibate, you'll think they're nuts, you know. And yet that's how they were for thousands of years until you got married, because the idea of, of being self-sufficient is that the outcome of... Uh, of promiscuity is going to be children. Well, who's going to take care of them? Well, you bring in the, the, the government, you bring in the taxation system, you bring in agencies, and, until you get this massive welfare system all, all living awfully well off of you. I'm talking about the agencies. They get incredible paychecks, some of them. And from the fallout that they create, there's always profit off the fallout they create, you know. 
but mankind at one time, uh, you, you took care of your own and, and you took care of your neighbors, but you, you certainly didn't pay for everybody else's children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I did a little job in a, a, a creche, they call them. And uh, there was a, a paint job and I was painting all these different rooms. And there was there was children in there, uh, newborn, mm-hmm. basically newborn children, and they'd, they'd been brought into this place in the morning and left there with the, the nanny. And it went all through the age groups up to, you know, uh, pre-secondary school age. But you had the, the, the breakfast club, you had the, the afternoon club, and you had all the different age groups all getting uh, taught this stuff from all these people who were into the, the whole green agenda. I, yeah. I don't think any, anybody was employed there that had a different idea in their head whatsoever. And this stuff was just being pumped into these children. They were sat yeah. in front of the television screens watching these videos. And uh, upstairs, uh, there was a, a play thing. And this is like a big warehouse, this place. Mm-hmm. And you go upstairs, and the playrooms are cages. Yeah. They throw them in cages with these bouncy mattresses and uh, shut the door. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, there you go. That's, yes. that's it. Train them up to be animals. You Russell. see, Russell too. Bertrand Russell was the first one in the 1920s to be allowed to, to try experimental schools for the future. And he was given a royal charter to, to do this because what he was doing was illegal, the things that he was pushing and trying on these children. And so he, and by the 1930s and 40s, uh, he, he knew how to manipulate the minds of the youth. And he said, he said, we... And he's talking about on behalf of his uh, hereditary lordship, you know, and, and all, all the, the, the upper class. He said, we used to think that we'd have to take the children away from their parents. Now, this, in order to, 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 so they wouldn't become contaminated with old ideas of independence and families, etc. This, this is a lord talking on behalf of the British peerage. This is something you expect from the communist side, right? Yeah. And until you realize it's all the same. And um, he says, but now I've found out, he said, that with scientific indoctrination of a child, if we can get them early, at the age of two or three, with scientific indoctrination, he says, we can have them for four or five hours a day. And whatever the parents try to communicate of their old values, etc., will be irrelevant. The child will dismiss them because scientific indoctrination is so perfect. So this is, the, 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 this is his system they're using today. It's all designed, whatever happens today was designed 70-odd years ago or more, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this Gurfrek thing in Scotland, uh, I, I'm going to become a, a grandparent again in about five months' time. And it'll be, I've, I've got one granddaughter already, but uh, she was born before the Gurfrek thing came in. But um, that's, I'm, I'm looking at ways where that can be avoided and you can uh, stop this social worker coming into the house because literally, I mean, if, if you if you leave a toy lying about on the floor or you've not emptied your bins or or, or anything, you're, you're, yes. you're, you've just had a bad day and your house isn't very tidy, mm-hmm. um, they're going to be reporting on you and uh, that child will be taken off you. That, I yeah. mean, that's that's the way it's going and it's, it's pretty... Um, uh, again, it's worldwide, because whatever happens in one country is happening globally at the same time, because it's all done through various treaties and organizations of the United Nations. Yeah, I've, they all I've, sign on to. Yeah, yeah I heard something, and there was something in the media a couple of weeks ago uh, in regards to England, and, and it was obvious it was going down the same road. But I, I, I don't know if... Uh, I, 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 to be honest, I, I left Scotland in 1999 because I was just sick of the people. I just thought they're just... Mm-hmm. They've just given in completely uh, yeah. to, to all this stuff, and I just I couldn't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that's why they tried it there first. That's maybe that's why they tried the poll tax. Uh, Scotland was a big test case of, of uh, 
partly uh, despondency. They were trying that for deculturization purposes since the Battle of Culloden, basically, <laughs> when they forbid the Scots even to speak Gaelic or on pain of death. Uh, if you want to destroy a people, you start by de- destroying their culture. That involves language and everything else and customs and history. And uh, if they wore tartan, that was a, an instant hanging offence unless you, your, your clan joined the British army and went abroad to fight for the empire. Uh, that lasted for quite a while. And at home, too, they brought in all the teachers from England, who just same in Ireland, Ireland too, by the way, uh, and they ruled with an iron fist. And you, you got to speak the, the, the Queen's English, etc., you see, uh, and so on and so on. And if you spoke your own language, you were, you were punished severely physically, you know, uh, right up until you know, the 50s with the belt, etc. So that was a complete process of deculturalization of a people who were really a satrapy of London, you know. Uh, their, their history was blotted out. Very old history Scotland has. It's nothing like they're given uh, in, in the more recent books. And that was blotted out, and were made to feel despondent. Uh, London also uh, decided in the 1960s that uh, Scotland would be turned into a tourist area, and they would gradually deindustrialize it before the rest of the country. And so they did. Uh, so despondency, unemployment, uh, no future. Uh, of course, in this, this, the, the late 70s, early 80s, they brought in the drugs, heroin trade, big time. Uh, to destroy what was left as well, and uh, and there you have it. That's how you, this is an ancient technique that's been used before, but uh, it was used on, on Scotland deliberately as a huge test case for other countries. I mean, you know, I, I speak to people abroad, and uh, you know, even, even people in in England and Ireland, they say, "Oh, Scotland's, Scotland's quite a big place," you know. And I go, "Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's fairly big." I say, "But there's only five million people there," and uh, they go, "How many?" And I, go, I say, "Yeah, you got uh, you got Aberdeen, uh, Inverness, Dundee, Edinburgh, Glasgow." And that's, that's right. it. You know, that's yeah. it. The rest of it's empty. Well, I used to see people and meet in the highlands and the, the, the tourists, and they'd say, oh, gee, this is really beautiful. Look at all this space and hills. And I says, yeah. I says, it's amazing to think that millions of folk used to live here. And they didn't know. I says, yeah, they cleared these highlands. I says, uh, you read John Preble, The Line in the North, you know, the Highland Clearances and all the books he put out. Uh, from from uh, sources from from uh, original history, historical sources from London that they kept secret there for a long time, and uh, they talked about the hundreds and hundreds of boats that came uh, year after year, as they were shoving them on these boats and, and clearing them off uh, into the colonies, as they called them, and many of them were so bad by these these rogue merchants that they put their old ships out there, they could see them sinking off the coast with all their families on it. Uh, lots of them died that way. Folk have no idea of the, like, not just the cultural genocide, but uh, and by the way, under under the the Treaty of the United Nations, even destroying your culture is, is included in genocide. By the way, never mind the physical destruction as well. So London had to do that. And then when you read the, the books of uh, the economist John Stuart Mill and his son as well, the same name, and you couple that with H. G. Wells one as well, they both had the Scots and the Irish down for liquidation because they kept rebelling. They would adapt, you said. Yeah, I mean, there was there was uh, there were many, many millions more in Ireland then as well as, as than there are oh, yeah. now, and uh, the, the, but I mean, I I've spent what twelve years in Ireland, and at least they've still got a bit of fight, but uh, they're, they're certainly um, going after them and trying to take it out of them. Um, yeah. That mainly through economics, as to be said at the moment, and uh, but also also um, and we'll, we'll get onto this in the se- well we're in the second hour, but we'll get onto this next because it's part of the same thing, the entertainment industry, and uh, they're really uh, they built up the rugby team, and that, that's 
and their football team, and that's that's the whole focus of the, the attention. They've, they've gone away from the Gaelic games kind of thing, the traditional uh, games that used to play in the villages and stuff, and it's all now become this um, multinational corporate um, mm-hmm. thing. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come back and talk about the the media, the entertainment industry, and uh, and yeah, the sports, the the coliseum, and all that stuff that uh, Wells talked about as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the next piece of music.